Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 340340. If you don't ask, you never know what can happen. Um, and if you don't start doing, then you never know, you know what may be successful or may completely fail. But you have to allow yourself to take those opportunities. Otherwise, someone else will. Or, you know, the timing will just pass by. Like, you have to recognize what is good timing. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants owner.com and if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable you will get a 10 day pass for only one dollar get on it with excitement allow me to introduce <laughs> to you today's guest chef tracy chang chef are you feeling unstoppable today absolutely all right. So Tracy Chang is from Cambridge, Massachusetts, where she first experienced the restaurant industry while observing her grandmother, a multi-unit restaurant owner. She would go on to study finance at Boston College. After college, uh, she, in a short stint in a kitchen, uh, she would continue to travel the world learning about food, marketing, media, and uh, public relations. Uh, today, Tracy is the chef owner of Pagu in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface, uh, giving the listeners a taste of who you are, Tracy. I can't wait to learn more. But before we dive in, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? All right. Well, I'm sure you've heard it before, but my father always told me that if you love the work that you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And do you think that's true? Absolutely. Have you worked a day in your life? (laughs) I'm not sure I have. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, it it is true. I mean, it's weird because this kind of comes up somewhat often on the show, the whole idea of work-life balance. And I'm curious, do you think that there is work-life balance? I think so. I think it's uh, dependent on how you frame it. I think that the word work often has this um, connotation that can be, you know, negative or strenuous or, you know, physical or laborious. Um, so I don't really like to think of what I do as work. Um, interestingly enough, I, I think uh, someone once taught me that an in- interesting replacement for that word might be fullering. Um, because if you really love what you 
do, then it makes you fuller. So you don't mm. feel like you're working, but you're becoming fuller. Yeah. You know, I, I like to think of it as just living intentionally uh, in choosing your own path. And when you wake up every day uh, working towards the path that you've chosen, uh, not working towards anyone else's dreams, but doing you every day, um, it makes it much easier to show up. And uh, your work and life become one and it becomes your life's work, uh, which just feels better. Uh, it sounds better. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I love that. Living intentionally. Um, yeah. I mean, when we designed this restaurant, um, every decision that was made and that continues to be made is very intentional, is very thoughtful. So I think intention um, you know, plays a huge role in, in my everyday. So I love Beautiful. it. Awesome. So uh, let's kind of find out a little bit more about you right now. So just real quick, uh, before we dive into your past, tell us a little bit more about Pagu and uh, what, you're, what you're doing day to day, like what your, your life is up to right now. All right. Um, a day in the life of a pug. So Pagu means pug in Japanese. Uh, pug means Pagu in English. Um, a day in the life. I... I'm running around the restaurant uh, like a curly-tailed <laughs> pug. There's no other way to describe it, I suppose. Uh, I guess that's quite visual. If you know anything about pugs, um, they're super uh, friendly, full of energy, um, curious, uh, and and childlike in terms of um, you know forever young. This kind of spirit and uh, mentality. And so I named my restaurant Pagu very intentionally because I grew up with pugs. I always had a black pug. I've had probably four or five black pugs now, if you count my brothers that I adopt occasionally from the West Coast. Um, and I wanted a name that would be lasting and that would be something I could never be upset by because... <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of challenges in restaurants, in the day-to-day -day of restaurants, and I think this spirit um, is something that's very lively and ever-evolving and very positive. Dude, I love that uh, whole idea of just the whole friendly, curious, uh, the, a lot of the qualities that you need to be successful in this industry come out in that whole pug, and it's personal. Uh, really cool. So let's find out how you got there now. Uh, when did you know um, that this was going to be your career. Is there a time that you can reflect back on when you knew this is what you wanted to do? Um, well, if you look very specifically at my fifth grade biography, autobiography that I wrote, um, it is unlike the other fifth grader autobiographies. Uh, it has a nonfiction and a fiction section. And in there, I wrote that I would take over my grandmother's restaurant and that right. I would, uh, be holding my cousin's hand and we would do it together. You know, it was very dreamy. And absolutely that did not happen because later that year she retired and sold the restaurant. Um, but, you know, I did something uh, similarly, right? Like I went into the restaurant business um, and eventually started my own. But it took me many years to get there. <laughs> so you knew from like a really early age would you say your grandmother was your influence uh, and what was it about her that influenced you uh definitely so my grandmother on my mother's side uh very strong-willed came over from taiwan she was already in her 60s and this is the late 1980s um her five kids had moved over here and 
she said, hey, I've been a midwife all my life in Taiwan, coming to the U.S., can't really do midwife stuff anymore. Um, but instead of retiring, I'm going to open a restaurant and then another restaurant. Um, so <laughs> With I no restaurant experience before that. Uh, no, absolutely not. Wow. Um, she you know, never cooked professionally. And in the restaurant that she opened, she you know, was the chef owner, but also was able to lead in a way that she had um, really excellent people, you know, cooking in the kitchen, on the bar, um, in the dining room. So she was great, uh, a great leader. Okay. So uh, aside from being strong-willed and a great leader, actually, let's dive into that whole great leader thing. Uh, what was it about her that made her a great leader, in your opinion? Uh, she was exigent. She was convincing. She was very likable. And... Um, you know, she fought for the people. She was very democratic. She knew what people wanted, what people needed, um, and just always wanted to nurture and provide. Okay. Uh, what was that first word you dropped on me? I'm not, I'm not a great, uh, <laughs> my vocabulary isn't okay, that great. That, uh, no, that's cool. The word is exigent. Okay. Well, what, what is that? So exigent, um, I, I feel like a synonym that's not exactly appropriate, um, but would be demanding. And demanding, okay. I think, has quite a negative connotation. Um, but exigent, standards, like knowing what she wants and not settling for less. Yeah, and being able to ask for that very directly um, and in a way that people find to be, okay, this may be, you know, again, strict, but it's very direct. Uh, perhaps okay. direct is, is more... Um, is more appropriate. All right. So you're quoted as saying that you want to continue your grandmother's legacy. So in your opinion, what was it uh, about your grandmother that, like, what was this legacy uh, that you want to continue? <coughs> Pardon me. Um, the legacy. I think, you know, the legacy uh, is less so, you know, the what, but more so the why. Um, you know, why did she do what she did versus, oh, I'm going to follow in the exact footsteps of copy paste this recipe, right? Legacy does not equal recipe, but more so um, the why behind it. And again, it was to nurture and to provide not only for the family, you know, for the five kids that she had and for, um, you know, the 20 or so grandkids that she had, but for, um, you know, the family that she created within the restaurant. So, um, it was a super melting pot, and I think as a kind of you know Renaissance woman of her time, um, she was certainly a pioneer in navigating those um, those waters in terms of shoot. You have uh, you know Guatemalans, Japanese, Chinese, um, and uh, Salvadorians, and how do they all you know, one, get along in the workplace, but two, like really succeed at what they do. And, you know, later on are able to evolve and move on from this one, uh, you know, this one home and, and be successful um, thereafter. And I think she was, um, you know, a great mentor for those folks. Wow, that's beautiful. I mean, just listening to you, it sounds like she lived to serve. Uh, She knew that her role was to not just bring money in, but to really provide an arena for people to come together where she can mentor and develop and really serve these people in life, uh, in her family, not just her, her, uh, real family, but her, her business family too. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, definitely. Beautiful. Definitely. I love it. So, 
Uh, when did you know that you were going to commit your life to this? Because it sounds like, you know, uh, you kind of knew from an early age, but you went on to study uh, finance at Boston College. So uh, was that intentional to set yourself up for uh, being a restaurateur or, or what were you thinking? Why finance? Um, so why finance? Uh, I started out pre-med and that didn't last too long. I became jaded by kind of the systems and practices and having been, um, you know, doing a couple of jobs and internships in that field, I realized, shoot, this is a system I cannot, uh, change in the way that I want to. I cannot decide who receives medical care. And if I want to be, you know, a heart surgeon at MGH, I can't decide whether that person on the operating table versus that person um, in the ER, you know, like who gets to go first or who gets to go at all. Um, And so I really wanted to work in um, an environment or dedicate my life to doing something that was in a system that was very um, flexible and innovative and creative. And I found that in restaurants. And when I decided to change, you know, Uh, gears with my studies I wanted to do something that would be very practical so you know of course with my mother and my father in my ear a bit um, but really you know I think they had uh, their best intentions for me because they said hey choose something practical because it's like oh you know maybe I'll study sociology or philosophy Um, which you know I took a couple classes in but I really concentrated uh, in finance and marketing, um, and took a bunch of languages. So I'm yeah. curious, was there a period where you got away from your dream, uh, that five-year-old dream of uh, being like your grandmother when you studied medicine, or was it always kind of sitting there in the back of your mind? Like, uh, I mean, how? Because that, that seems like a very different path from where you are now. So did you lose that well, dream at some point? Well, again, I think what I really admired about my grandmother was how she helped others. And, uh, you know, choosing to originally study medicine was, you know, again, choosing to help others and to, like you said, to to serve. Um, And I think there's, you know, a huge corollary between, um, you know, the the world of health and nutrition as well as the world of, you know, food, restaurants, etc., um, so I never really feel like now as a restaurant owner six months into this restaurant um, that I've had to completely uh, relinquish, you know, my interests and curiosities in biology, in medicine, in nutrition, in, um, in movement. Um, yeah, I feel like this is, you know, a way as an entrepreneur to, yeah, have a launching pad from food and restaurant, you know, kind of perspective, but it's, uh, it's great because I have the opportunity to really, um, participate in the other, uh, curiosities as well. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so you graduate, uh, was it 2009? I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the date's not too important, but, uh, you went on to go work at, oh yeah. So, uh, what's going on in your mind at this point, getting a job in the restaurant with a degree in finance, uh, like, what are you thinking? <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, all right, I don't really care how my peers <laughs> judge me. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, because everyone else is going into banking, into consulting, you know, the, the um, you know, kind of uh, predictable, typical pathways of a finance major, which 
makes sense. I mean, you just spent all this money on this degree and now you got to make it back. All right. But yeah. I'm going to go sweat it out and uh, learn what a cucumber brunoise is and how to <laughs> cut that perfectly. Um, and I'm going to go make sauces and I'm going to go, you know, slice fish and break down tuna, um, all these kinds of fun things. I'm going to go work my, with my hands, go yeah. make something. So why Oh Yeah, though? Was there something about Oh Yeah, which is the restaurant I should mention that you were working at, uh, for those who might not be familiar? Why, why does he keep saying Oh Yeah? Uh, but <laughs> so why did you choose this restaurant over other restaurants? So my friends happened to live around the corner and they discovered it. It was um, at the time a pretty quiet restaurant in a neighborhood that wasn't, um, you know, kind of on like the backside of Chinatown that not a lot of people knew about in the Leather District. Um, and I checked it out with my mom. I was like, wow, this place is super interesting. They're uh, doing something with sushi, sashimi that no one else has ever done, at least that I've ever tried or researched. Um, and I started talking with the sushi chefs. And um, when I brought up my grandmother, they all knew her. So immediately I had this personal connection with the people and the space and the food. And it was something that I really, you know, just followed my gut to ask how I could be a part of this and um, in any way. So I said, hey, you know, I saw that you guys are uh, hiring for hosts and, um, you know, I'm I'm interested in in helping out in any way possible. So if it's a host, if it's, you know, washing the dishes, if it's, um, you know, coming in to do some prep, I'll do anything. Oh man! Well, first, I'm kind of curious. What was the thing that they were doing that was different? How how were they different? Um, the space and vibe was very different. It was okay. very uh, uh, transportive, um, and the flavors and aromas. I mean, even when you walked into the space, you could um, you know feel it on a multi sensory level. It smelled different. It looked different. Um, it tasted different. So um, it was something that at that time was very unique for not just Boston, but New York and L.A. and Chicago and Tokyo. I mean, we had people coming from around the world that were telling us that, you know, we were doing something differently. So, yeah. Um, so it had a yeah. unique selling proposition. It had something that, you know, set it apart. It was zigging when everything else was zagging, which is good. You want to associate yourself yourself with with brands that are your, that are emerging, so that's good like just instinct on your part. Um you also said you followed your gut. I mean, do you think that is something that we should do more of in life, follow our gut and why? I think so. I think you have to I think you have to train your gut. You have to develop your gut. Um fortunately for me, I had done that in terms of, oh, what do I want to do with my life, right? Yeah. And in in college, very early on, I, um, I mean, I'm sure before college too, but as a kid growing up, like I knew that I loved uh, sports and I wanted to play in sports, team sports, always team sports, right? Like okay. I was very black and white about what I liked and what I disliked. And half the battle, or more than half the battle, I think, is knowing what you dislike and and kind of separating that out or, you know, knowing what your weaknesses are and separating that out. Um, and in that way you will find, you know, what are you passionate about? What are you, um, you know, strong at and, and what do you really care about? Um, so, so I'm curious at this time, reflecting back to this time, did you, can you remember what you disliked? 
well, like I said, I just like, um, I just like the systems that I could not affect. Yeah. So I knew early on that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted yeah. to own my own business. Um, but in order to get there, I had to work for other people, for other institutions, okay. for yeah. large companies. I interned at Motorola when I studied in Beijing. I worked at Fenway Park when I was um, in college. And I knew that, hey, if I want to be a business owner, I also need to know um, what the position of a greeter or security person at Fenway Park is and what their perspective and their day-to-day -day is in order to be, um, you know, say one day a manager or an owner, you know, at a, at a uh, completely different mindset um, with a different set of responsibilities. So, you know, everyone has to start somewhere. I had to be a yeah. Uh, an intern in, in Motorola making these kind of like market landscapes. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's very different from being the chief of marketing at Motorola for all of Asia. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I think that those experiences are very humbling or very important, are um, great for developing perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to not only do those early on, but to continue to do, um, you know, like participate in uh, activities where you can either learn that way or, as we say in restaurants, stage, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And one thing I love about your story up to this point, too, is that you were willing to do anything, uh, even if it was washing the dishes uh, or hosting. And I feel like certain people, uh, younger people today graduating college or anybody graduating college, for that matter, uh, almost feel like in, they're entitled to more. Uh, but you you were willing to do anything just to get on this team. And you're very intentional about what you're doing uh, and where you're working to learn certain things. So can you remember specifically what it was you wanted to learn and what, you know, why you're willing to do, to do anything to get in, in this restaurant? Oh yeah. And to learn that thing. Definitely. Um, I wanted to learn, uh, from the sushi chefs and I knew that in order to learn from the sushi chefs, I couldn't just start as an apprentice with them. I had to start with, you know, the kitchen before I could go to the sushi bar. And that took months, um, but also took time to really develop trust with the sushi chefs that they should even spend their time teaching me. Yeah. Why, why should they waste their time trying to teach me so that I can make a whole bunch of mistakes if they even let me <laughs> try to do something? Um, and, and so a lot of it, you know, and I, I've always known this about myself early on is that I'm a very uh, quick and intensive learner. And I'm also um, an observational learner. So I, uh, and a hands-on learner Yeah. Um, so versus, yeah, versus like other types of learning, right? Like listening or, yeah. Um, you, know, you like, knew that you knew that going into this experience, right? Yes. Awesome. And what would you say the biggest lesson you learned from these chefs were? The biggest lessons. Um, I mean, there's a lot of the technical lessons. Again, I kind of draw back and try and go like zoom out and go big picture of like, what is that big, like overarching lesson <laughs> that yeah. I learned from them? Uh, I mean, probably, you know, like really love and care about what you do every yeah. step of the way. Don't take those Beautiful. shortcuts. I love it. So you spent about a year at Oya, and uh, then you decided to do some traveling, uh, 
kind of uh, dive into that in the next stage of your life real quick. Yeah, so uh, when I went to Oya, again, I had just come out of Boston College. I had no formal culinary training. I literally walked into the door of Oya, and during my like uh, interview, when I had my finance resume out, which now I know means nothing in the restaurant industry, <laughs> um, I also brought this uh, booklet that was about 23 pages of dishes that I like to cook, right? But this is all oh, cool. like stuff I made at home. So I realized, shoot, like I am very self-made and self-taught and homemade, um, you know, or grandma taught and auntie taught, um, but I have no formal training. So what does formal training look like? I mean, in the Oya realm, it means with these, um, you know, Japanese sushi chefs, which is intense. I love it. Where do I get more of that intensity? Um, And so I wanted to focus on pastry uh, and kind of pivot towards the sweet life. And so I did a bit of uh, due diligence and learned that, okay, there are these programs in Paris, and I've always wanted to go to Paris. I've been studying French for a little bit now. So let's go to Paris. Let's okay. go get some really intensive um, nine-hour-a-day, six days a week uh, pastry, well, patisserie, uh lessons from Parisian chefs. So that's what I did. I went to Le Cordon Bleu and um and apparently you crushed it because 6 months into your experience they offer you uh a scholarship, correct? Oh, so that was that was to Spain. The scholarship was to Spain afterwards. Okay. Um so after pastry school I was like, shoot, okay, I love intensity. I love the formal training. But it's also, you know, it's it's quite expensive. And again, it's like another kind of like certificate or degree. And what do you do with that versus like the real like practical world, right? So I go back, switch gears again, go back into restaurants. But at this point, I'm like, well, you work for the best, like, you know, we at Oya oh yeah, had been named the best new restaurant in the country. So you, wow. you work for the best restaurant, like best new restaurant in the country. Where do you go from there um, if you want to be with the top dogs? So I go to San Sebastian, Spain, because I find the scholarship that I apply for. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I guess I have won something in my life. Maybe not the lottery. <laughs> um, but I won the scholarship to go cook with Martin Berezategui. Uh, super complicated last name. Very Basque. Yeah, um, I didn't even try to say it. I figured you would say it eventually. <laughs> I'd say it for you, and I can continue <laughs> to say it for you if you like. Um, so I go to work with Martin uh, in San Sebastian, three-star restaurant. Like, oh, what's three stars? You know, I could do that. You know? <laughs> Man. And switch gears into Spanish and learn some Basque, which is completely not Spanish or any other language. Um, and end up, you know, realizing that, shoot, it's not about just learning, you know, Spanish and Basque and three-star restaurants and how to operate in one. But this place, again, is like a a crazy melting pot of yeah. people and culture from all of the world. And why did they all sacrifice to come here to work for free? 60 people in a kitchen, um, 15 hour days. Uh, why, why do that? Are we all masochists? <laughs> um, so why you, what, what do you think it was about you that, uh, you know, allowed you to have this opportunity, this scholarship? 
why why did i get picked why did my yeah. or and the other judges pick me i mean um, these are people that see greatness all the time and they they have extremely high standards uh you you know formal culinary experience a year working in restaurants uh like formally working in restaurants like what do you think it was about you that really blew them away hmm. well i think martin realized this later or you know maybe he realized it earlier because he has you know, decades of experience observing uh, stages and trainees that come in and very quickly can, you know, pick up. And okay. I talked to his other chefs about it, too. I'm like, how quickly can you guys notice, like, how much potential uh, each person will have? And they're like, well, we've been doing this for a long time. So, you know, in day one, we'll, we'll know, like, in a okay. couple, like, in a few hours. But Martin made this decision pretty quickly, and so I'm like, wow, maybe he's just superhuman compared <laughs> to the other chefs and can decide in minutes. Um, he probably just found me to be super different and exotic because at this time there weren't a lot of people like me yeah. um, who looked, you know, people like me, people who looked like me, so that were... Um, Taiwanese American that were going to Basque country. And so, um, European you know. in just a strange way. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I mean, strange well, in the like, most polite way possible. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he, he, he was like, why do you like, how, how do you speak Spanish? Like why, like, why do you look the way that you do? And how do you speak Spanish? So well yeah. <laughs> with like one of the first impressions. So I think that was kind of like, Oh shoot, she, you know, can communicate. And that's a yeah. huge part of it. Communication. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think as our relationship grew and as we spent more time together, he realized just, you know, how much I could do, but just how much I was willing to do. Um, I think that was, that was why, um, it was so appealing, but of course, you know, he's had years of experience and what he later, um, told actually my mom <laughs> somehow because they don't both speak the same language <laughs> but seven months in when my parents came to visit uh he told my mom and it was like one of the few things that he said to her besides you know hello how are you how's the meal goodbye um but he said you know your daughter tracy has more energy than i yeah. do <laughs> <laughs> and this man has so much energy Wow. Um, and so I, I thought that was one of, I don't know, probably like one of the highest praises I've ever received, but in hindsight, like very much true as I think about it now, <laughs> <laughs> um, as I run a restaurant now and have yeah. longer than 15 hour days, but yeah, that yeah. endurance is huge though. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, you, you went on to even do some more work for him. He selected you to start uh, doing some, you're traveling the world with him, doing multimedia public relations, uh, coordinating. Uh, I mean, this was kind of outside of the cooking world. So, how did you end up in this path? I'm, you're... Um, I realized that it was, uh, you know, a culmination of things of my, I guess, interests, curiosities, and just skills that I had acquired over the years that I really wanted to apply. Yeah. So when you decide to jump ship on a finance degree that you've just spent four years um, on, you know, in terms of investment slash hopefully this is an investment in education and not an expense. Um, you really want to prove that it's worth something in the long run. 
And okay. so not only does that hold true for something like studying finance, but also anything else I've ever studied or spent time doing. So did you um, spend time studying marketing and multimedia? I mean, I, I saw that you ran a column uh, when you were at Boston College on food and recipes. Um, was it that experience that you were drawing from? Um, it was that. It was taking a lot of marketing classes. I okay. think I did finance because it was practical. I think yeah. had I done marketing, it would have been more what I'm naturally inclined towards or just, okay. um, you know, again, finance was, was practical. Uh, but I lived with my cousin who was uh, studying film at Emerson, and he taught me all these uh, okay. tricks on Final Cut Pro. I was like, oh, this is really cool. He's going to be a you know film director in L.A. one day, and I'm going to have these memories of you know slicing and splicing um, clips on these storyboards with him. And when I went to Spain, uh, you know, a month and a half later after that, I'm like, shoot, I can do something with those quote-unquote skills or just you know kind of tricks that I picked up and it really just came from you know me sitting down with Martin or his different teams of people from his tv production or from his photo shoot or whatever it is and being like hey have you guys tried you know this way or that way it was really collaborative conversation and they're like wait how do you know that yeah. <laughs> or oh that's not a bad idea and again oh, they kind of they kind of saw that like I had this you know different or interesting or exotic perspective again i don't want to say it's because like maybe it's because of like the way i you know i i look the way i do or something that they were like oh like someone with a completely different perspective because she's not vast but yeah. um i mean if the truth of it is if, if you look different if you are different you're gonna stand out you're going to be noticed you're you know it, it's true and I, I get where you're coming from uh but some other really great lessons in here is that you've got to find opportunities to add value um people too often when they're going to gr to join a, a group or be a part of something just want to know what what's in it for me whereas you're coming at the approach just through listening to you like you know uh, in this example you know you're, you're adding value to them uh your energy your your specialized knowledge uh and you you know you don't go you know asking for things but you go giving mm -hmm. is, a, is a better approach any thoughts to that Definitely. Um, I always take a very open, um, open hearted, open minded approach. Um, and I find that, you know, I'm just willing to contribute. And yeah. it's not because I want this out of it, but really, I think it adds value. And if I yeah. don't have value, then, you know, why open my mouth at all? Yeah. Um, so, so, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. So I was going to say, uh, six months of working uh, with sh or an additional. So you were there for six months. You got the scholarship, uh, and then you did some more work with Chef Martin with the multimedia stuff. Uh, is that correct? And then you came back, and that's when you started working on. Uh, is it Gucci's Midnight Ramen? Yeah, three months into the scholarship with Martin, which was a six-month scholarship, he asked me to come on full time in terms of. Um, you know, don't just stay six months and yeah. don't just do this, like, you know, stipend scholarship, but like, I'm going to contract you to stay, you know, a year or longer, you know, it was supposed to be longer. Um, I'm going to contract you to stay and I want to pay you and I want you to, you know, to do all of these things because you like them. And I just kept asking for more. I just That's kept awesome. asking for, you know, 
more things to put on my plate in terms of, hey, let me do this or let me do that. And he never really said no. So I was like, hey, let me, you know, there's this thing called uh, Twitter, Martine. There's this thing (laughs) called Instagram. And that was when those things were taken off. So, oh, man, um, I love it. Again, just adding value, not waiting <laughs> for things to come to you, but looking at the situation, trying to add value. Uh, you already have their attention. Um, and just, you know, ask if you're listening to this, ask yourself, am I just like being taken along with the current or am I, you know, really trying to go against the current and provide value where value can be added and to to really contribute something special to my team. Uh, when you do that, when, when you, when you give and you really start to like give a shit and people will start to give a shit about you and provide you opportunity and invest in you. And that's what I'm hearing from your story. Is that safe to say? Yeah, definitely. If you don't ask, you never know what can happen. Um, and if you don't start doing, then you never know, you know, what may be successful or may completely fail. But you have to allow yourself to take those opportunities. Um, otherwise, someone else will. Or, Beautiful. you know, the timing will just pass by. Like, you have to recognize what is good timing. Oh, we're almost uh, at 40 minutes to this interview. And I want to kind of fast forward to learn more yeah. about your experience uh, opening your first restaurant. Uh, you know, why you were only doing that for two years, what happened there. And then, uh, the you know, how you use those experiences to open uh, Pagu. Uh, so let's start there. Uh, you come back to, oh yeah, uh, you, or you, you start, you know, I come I'll back let you to, take it. So you're you're yeah, back. Yeah. Okay. So I come back to Boston. Um, I get a phone call from my mom saying my dad's a bit sick. I'm like, oh crap. Uh, that's completely unexpected. And family always comes first for me. Yep. So I drop everything in Spain. I let Martin know that, you know, he like my he has now become like my father in Spain and my home away from home. And I'm like, you know, like I have to go home and take care of my, you know, my real father. And, um, and he understood that. So I came home and fortunately, uh, medical miracle, my dad is fine in a month. I'm, awesome. you know, cooking for him every day. And as I'm doing that, I'm like, Oh man, like I just spent uh, 15 hours a day in Spain working, um, with Martin and and uh, and I loved every moment of it, and I feel so useless at home, yeah. <laughs> like making soup and being like fifteen hours a day just turned into making soup at home. You know, there's this like inner turmoil, of just like what am I doing? Like, how long is this going to be for? Of course, I love taking care of my dad, but like, yeah. what am I going to do? Like, I who can I work for here? that will really push me that hard or that will give me that kind of drive. And so I, you know, didn't really have an answer to that. So I started uh, with a couple of my other, um, oh yeah, folks, a pop-up called Gucci's Midnight Ramen. Okay. Um, And what was the mission behind that? What was the vision? Like, what were you hoping would spur from that experience? So it really started as, you know, it's midnight, we're hungry, let's like what would we want to eat right now you know i would eat ramen yeah i'd eat ramen great let's make some ramen because there's not a lot of ramen in town and that turned into shoot there's a lot of other people around town that want to eat ramen and then it turned into hey let's try you know cooking ramen for our friends in the industry at midnight in their restaurants and we got all these invites to do it in all their restaurants 
But me, as you know, kind of the finance marketing person, is and thinking ahead in terms of do I want to uh, work for someone, continue to work, you know, for and with someone, or do I want to already start launching something on my own? Okay, um, so, or something, yes, yeah, something together with other people. So uh, you you had success with. Uh, Midnight Ramen or Gucci's Midnight Ramen. Uh, you're doing that for like two years, and it was around this time you started thinking to yourself, I want to do something on my own, something more aligned with what I want to do. Uh, but before we really dive into that, I, I, I want to take some lessons away from uh, the pop up experience because I first, I personally think that that's an incredible way uh, to scale up, to start where you can um, and test the concept, t- test your passion, see if it has traction, uh, tweak it and scale up. So what were the biggest lessons for you? What was that, that learning curve like for you uh, from idea to execution with the pop-up? Yeah. Um, Definitely prototype your idea. If you have an idea, map it out. Do you have an audience? You know, who is your target audience? Um, Prototype it, get feedback, uh, make sure it's a minimum viable product that you can, you know, be super nimble and pivot if you need to and rework, rework to, you know, discover and create finesse. Um, And once you're there, how do you keep scaling that so that you're, you know, bigger and better each time so that um, people are happier each time? Like what kind of value are you actually providing these people? Is it just like the product and the service? And for us, we realized that it wasn't just the product and the service. And that lesson for me was the most valuable in terms of confirming I want to open a restaurant and I want to open a restaurant back here, back home with these types of people that we're feeding. This is, mm. this is my tribe. Yeah. Um, this is my community. And I really found that um, from doing these pop-ups because they were not only the public events that we had advertised, but also led to a lot of, interesting private events that were for universities, for nonprofits, uh, for artists, for tech entrepreneurs, etc. I was like, shoot, there's a great melting pot here. And it is one that I certainly want to feed and nourish. What was the thing that you were chasing? Uh, whether it be an emotion or a tangible thing, uh, what was driving you? What was, what was, <clears throat> what was the, what did the finish line look like? What, what were you trying to get? Um, I, definitely realized it later on as it was kind of happening but I was trying to figure out my own voice in terms of who am I as a chef who am I as an entrepreneur but like ultimately what does that have anything to do with the people that I cook with or cook for what is the purpose what is the intent and for me it all came down to hey, like I came home to take care of my dad and I ended up, shoot, like I kind of ended up taking care of this like community of people. And for me, I was like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to continue to do. Mm. And because how do you... Sorry, because for me, it was, well, for me, it was very cathartic. Like they took care of me in a time where I was hurting. I was hurting mm. because 
I didn't get to do my dream. Like it was selfish, right? Like I didn't get to do my dream of like living in Europe and, and cooking at these Michelin starred restaurants and like going from there and being this like, like why didn't, why couldn't I go to like Noma from there? Why couldn't I go to like El Sayer, the Can Roca? Like I had the opportunity to, um, but I kind of chose not to, right? Like after my dad got better, I'm like, all right, like, shall I go back to Martine? Martine will send me to Noma. He'll send me to El Sayer. He'll send me to Massimo Bottura's restaurant, wherever. He, he, he'll send me anywhere. Like El Bui had just closed, right? But that was like the kind of opportunity that I, um, or the opportunities that I passed up and, and I stayed home. And it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. But I'm like, did I make that? Or did everyone here help me make that? And did everyone here help me set the groundwork for what would later become Pagu um, and really help me craft what the message and what the spirit and the why of the everyday of Pagu, why do we fight every day to do this? Um, they really gave me purpose. Man, that's beautiful. You were just on a tear and I loved every second of it. And uh, just to like emphasize uh, too, just the, you mentioned it briefly, but uh, a minimal viable product. Uh, do you want to speak to that real quick? What a minimal viable product is uh, and where we can learn more about that? Yeah. I mean, you can learn more about it on Google, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's a tech term. Um, it, we joked around with a lot of tech friends that we were like, Oh, ramen pop-ups. Like, let's make this ramen profitable and it's you know this joke that all right you're gonna go uh start a startup right and being ramen and profitable is like you're making just enough money or barely any yeah. uh to survive or to you know afford ramen or like you know the instant kind of cup noodle ramen stuff um and in terms of you know having minimum viable product we wanted to create something that would um you know, be, be just enough to, um, how would you say? Sustain? Like, or Yeah, to sustain and to evolve, but also not having a lot of heavier yes. uh, costs yes. in the onset. So a minimal yeah. viable product, guys, just get it to market as cheaply as possible and start there and scale up. And con like you mentioned, um, be you're super nimble. You can pivot. You can adapt to what the market wants. You can test things and get feedback and slowly improve over time um, versus, you know, getting that $500,000 loan or getting a hundred of your of the people that you know, like, and trust and who trust you and getting a bunch of money from them. Like there's huge risk in that. Um, and you can start small with a minimal viable product. I mean, flour and water essentially with the noodles, uh, super cheap, super nimble and, and take it from there. Start small scale up huge lesson there. Um, you are a shining example of how to do that and why it's, it can be so powerful. And then, and then not just to kind of breeze over everything else you shared during that time, uh, you're, you're growing this business, but you're also getting clarity about why you're doing what you're doing why, like, and what really matters to you and what's important to you uh, and getting that inner clarity, that, that inner purpose, which is so important, which helped you with Pagu. So let's start there. Let's start with why. You said it helped you get that clarity, that why about Pagu. So what was the why about Pagu? Um, why does Pagu need to exist and why does it need to exist here? Um, you could put any other restaurant, any other quote unquote concept and 
kind of, you know, my fight or mantra for, you know, why we need to exist and why we need to exist here is, well, you know, we had been existing here, but uh, with these events and with the support of the community, that was how Pagu came to be. So when I, you know, like did my Pagu training, uh, did Pagu, um, when I do interviews and hiring, that's something I always share with people because I want people to choose to be here as much as we choose them for the mm. position. Because if you don't want to be here, if you don't have you know a greater reason or purpose for being here and you just want to do the job and the tasks, you know, that's like pretty boring. That's mm. not sustainable. That's not longevity. That's not a good enough reason for wanting to be here. Like you have to have a greater reason. Like you want to come here. You got to want to learn. You got to want to evolve. You got to want to, you know, yeah, believe in what we believe, but like believe that what you bring is also added value versus like, Oh, I just want to come here and learn everything because I have nothing to give besides like my labor, or, like whatever it is, you know, like I want people to really like believe in themselves, but also believe in Pagu and believe that we can be greater together. One plus one equals three. Yeah. And, um, kind of bringing it back to what you said, uh, about, you know, continuing your grandmother's legacy. And I'm going to, uh, kind of, I think paraphrase or maybe quote you here, but but by bringing talented friends together over soulful food and sparkling conversation, uh, you Chang uh, and her team will create boundless opportunities for collaboration and innovation. Is that kind of um, what what you're talking about? That specific line right there. Yeah, I mentioned before that you know we competed with other restaurant concepts for this space. And we proved that Pagu needs to exist here and now um, because Pagu is not just a restaurant. It's not just a cafe. It's not just a bakery. It's not just, um, you know, all it's, it's all of those things, but Pagu is not just a Spanish, Japanese, small plates, fusion concepts. Pagu is a home. Um, Pagu is a home for the community. It's a gathering place. It's a hearth. And, you know, we believe in food, community, and collaboration. I think everybody – sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Then I'm going to jump in. Yeah. I mean, people always ask, like, okay, well, food, I get it. Community, okay. But, like, what the heck is collaboration? It's like, well, we truly believe that, well, you know, we know how we came to be. Like, it was a dinner for the landlords, not to prove, like, this is the concept, this is the food and the drink menu. But I might have secretly <laughs> invited 20 people to this dinner instead of just the six, you know, landlords and decision makers. But I invited 20 people because there were other people in this community who have a voice and who knew you know, what I had been trying to do, what I wanted to do, but also what we had all been doing together. Mm. And that was over food and drink and collaboration and community building. And they too are the mover shakers of this community who help, you know, to innovate and make it such a positive place. And I want to show them, not just tell them in a concept deck, like, what is my concept? I said, Hey, this is our, you know, this is like our Cambridge, our Boston. This is how we own it. And this is what we're doing. And we just need a permanent home for it. Um, you can pick us or, you know, we can move on and find another space for it. And, you know, thankfully they, they chose us and we were able to, you know, plan our roots uh, here. Um, and that collaboration is with friends in this community. They are professors at MIT that are working on, <clears throat> incredible project everyone's around here 
has an interesting project. And we try and share those projects and those stories with food and drink as kind of the starting place. And, um, you know, I think that still sounds a little bit, you're kind of like, what does that mean? I can see your face. You're like, what does that mean? No, I'm listening. Uh, and I love everything. I'm kind of just trying to figure out how I, how I ask the, the question that I am dying to ask you right now. And I feel like everybody who, who wants to open a restaurant, they, they all say, I want to be the center of the community. I want to, I want it to be about community. I want to be the home away from home. And that's all so, so much, just a load of crock. Uh, but you're actually doing that. So what is it? What's the secret to actually, and I think I know the answer, but I want to, I want to hear just from listening to you, but I want to hear you say like, what makes it, what, why are you pulling it off? What are you doing to, to enable you to pull that off? Yeah, there, I mean, there's just so many different examples. And I think other people, they probably do it in their restaurants, too, in, you know, in different ways. Like, they probably put up artwork that's from local community artists. That's, like, one very, yeah. um, you know, quick way to do it. And, you know, we do that, too. But one of the other ways, it's like, shoot, you know, my friend uh, Beth is working on developing AI for wine pairings. Um, and so we're going to actually hold events that you can experience that. And so food, drink, community, collaboration. So you're going to like live that. You're going to actually mm. participate and, you know, provide feedback in this awesome project that you're like, wait, who is developing AI for like wine pairings? What about sommeliers, right? So, you know, that's one example. Another example is uh, my friend Jana, who's at MIT in conservation. You're like, what? MIT known for, um, you know, like... Uh, known for engineering. Why do we care about conservation? Why do we look backwards when we're looking forwards? Well, it's really cool about what she's doing is she created a new field of study. No one has ever studied how letters and documents have been secured, have been, um, have been preserved over uh, centuries since what the 14th century, I believe. Um, and, and it's something that we, can participate in every day that we have kind of forgotten about. When was the last time you wrote um, a letter by hand and mailed it to someone? And did you put that in an envelope and lick the envelope or put a sticker on it? Or did you hold that up? Uh, did that remind you of origami as a kid? Did that remind you of passing notes in middle school? Well, there are a lot of ways to, to secure that document and no one has ever studied that, but there's all these documents preserved from Japan, from um, from Queen Elizabeth, from Erasmus, um, that people haven't documented uh, over the years. And the way mm. that I want to share that with folks is um, is every day. Like people come to the restaurant every day, and. You know, they're looking for food, they're looking for drink, they're looking for nourishment, they're looking to have a fun time with their friends, but that doesn't mean they're not looking for an experience or, uh, you know, this kind of reminder of why sending a handwritten note and hand-folded and um, hand-locked letter to someone is is important. Yeah. So 
we sneak that in in our granola. <laughs> Man, uh, just so much value here between the lines, reading between the lines. And what I'm hearing, uh, you, you have that higher purpose of creating opportunities through collaboration. And really, it's about making it not about you but about everyone else but you in your community and really living those values of how can I collaborate with this person to create an opportunity for them to draw attention to what amazing things they're doing and how can we provide a space for this? Uh, but you're making it about everyone else uh, and then providing that hearth, what you called earlier, that warm place, that warm environment to have all these things unfold. Yeah, I just happen to be curious. And I think it's you know, curly tailed sometimes. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. And uh, we're already at almost an hour. And if you could just, uh, man, there's so many questions. An hour and a half, an hour and 20 <laughs> minutes is not long enough. Um, I have questions about pop ups, uh, license, whether you, how, with licensing, insurance. Uh, man, maybe we can get you back another time um, in the future for like a <laughs> short mini episode. But three things, uh, three lessons, three major takeaways, uh, things you know to be true about success in the restaurant industry that you can share with my audience now. Three things. You got to care. <laughs> yeah. If you don't care, there's no point. There's no purpose. You got to be, you know, like you said, you got to be intentional. Yeah. Um, three things. Uh, two, you got to have endurance because you have to understand that, you know, things will go up, things will go down. They'll go really high. They'll go really low. Um, what's exciting about each high and each low, or at least more so about the lows, I would have to say, is that, you know, it's going to come up again and you want to come up even higher each time. Yeah. Would so, you say, would you say that, um, those two are kind of interlocked caring and endurance? Like how do you find that endurance? And is that from caring? Definitely. That's what drives you back up again. Yeah. I mean, like you personally, but sure, there's like the other, um, you know, tangible lows, but like you just got to have endurance to, to problem solve very quickly and nimbly um, mm. to bring that back up. And, and three, uh, yeah, third, <clears throat> yeah, three, it's a, it's about the people we are, you know, we're in the food, we're in the drink, we're in the experience business, but we're also in the people business. Mm. And just as much as that means we are taking care of guests that walk through the door, um, it also means we are responsible in how we are taking care of our team members. I don't like to say staff. Staff sounds like infection. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I say team members. I say our family because ultimately that's what we are here. Um, and that means, you know, being uh, socially and um, socially responsible in, in, in a very sustainable way. So being very attuned to labor laws, for instance, um, but also just being very um, empathetic one-on-one -on -one with people every day, saying good mm. morning, um, saying good evening, saying hello, goodbye, but also learning about the people that come in to work with you every day. What do they yeah. need? What's going on in their lives? Everyone drops whatever it is in their lives to come here to work with us at Pagu. Why? Why do they care so much? They could work 20 minutes down from where they live. They don't need to take three modes of transportation to get here one and a half hours later in 95 degree weather. That's today, by the way. Um, yeah. But like, why do they care so much to do that? And that's why the people are so important. That's why you fight for the people every day. 
So why do they care so much to do those things, to come to work, to, to be with you, to serve your, your cause? Um, they believe in what we believe in that sense, in terms of the culture that we're trying to create. I think they find value in what they're learning here. I think they truly enjoy the people that they're working with. And they don't always have that in other workplaces because can I, they sorry, can be task rabbits. No, I mean, they can very easily be like task rabbits in other workplaces. I've asked them. I'm like, why do you want to be here? Yeah, and, <laughs> What have you know, I done? <laughs> what have to, we done? <laughs> to bring it back to that first uh, thing that you know to be true, which is caring for other people. When you care, it's this simple. When you care, legitimately, genuinely care for other people. They will care about you, uh, but you have to care first. If everybody c- approached life with caring first and then expecting to be cared for, the, the world would be a better place. And I think you're just like living proof of that, like your existing proof of that, uh, just caring first and then having people care back for you. So beautiful. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you put it really nicely. I think you have to, one, care first, but two, um, be prepared to care more about other people and you know and if or when you know they give that care back like it's a wonderful thing but i don't think you should have the expectation um of of that i think when you have the expectation of that and you are say you know like let down from it then it's you know kind of a sad place to be but you got to do things very um, unconditionally. It, it um, has to be selfless. It has to be selfless. Uh, and thank you for, for making that point. I love it. Um, we're going to just real quickly get a failure. Then we're going to take a break to thank our sponsors. But real quick, tell us about a time, Chef, that you fell on your ass hard. <laughs> and, uh, what was that experience? What happened? Oh, yeah. Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, this past Valentine's Day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was thinking a lot about the experience from the guest perspective and I don't think I prepared my team well enough to execute. Um, and I tried to be in many places at once in terms of preparing for that experience. Um, I think that people, you know, overall still had a quite a positive experience, but one being new to the market and not knowing completely what people expect on valentine's day and you know obviously having a couple friends be like hey on valentine's day be ready to crush a lot of two tops Um, on valentine's day be ready to do a tasting menu and you know have oysters and have champagne all these things but um you know operationally um setting my team up for success um was uh you know could have been done a lot better and i wrote this email out to the team both front and back of the house afterwards saying hey you know i think everyone has very similar feelings about valentine's day it was a little bit of a shit show um (laughs) operationally on both front and back and i take credit for that um i you know apologize for these things that could have been done better and this is you know, how we will do it better together in the future. These are one, two, three, four, five steps that we can do better together next time. And I, you know, promise to be a better leader. Beautiful. Um, just to like recap, uh, you focus too much on your guests and you didn't focus on empowering and enabling your team to execute the, uh, 
service. Uh, but the big lesson in this for me was owning it. And I think that's where a lot of leaders, a lot of owners go wrong when sh- the, the cucka, the shit does hit the fan when it is a, a shit show. Uh, you, it's always on you. And if things don't go well, it, it always kind of don't go pointing fingers. I mean, turn the finger back on yourself and own it. And even if it was somebody's fault, I mean, ultimately it comes back to you not training them or not preparing them or, or giving them the tools and resources necessary to handle it. And to own that publicly helps create such rapport, such trust and such respect. Uh, it, it's so powerful. Thank you for giving us that example. Awesome. Thank you. Um, we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back for a quick speed round. I promise. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. <laughs> but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy to access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant's unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the Tipsy banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar again that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable we're back and the first question i have for you chef tracy is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success my success resilience Ooh. and uh why why uh i once had this t-shirt in the middle school call <laughs> it said brilliance uh rhymes with resilience so i really believed in it because one it taught me to look <laughs> up the word it was like what the heck is resilience it was like brilliance okay i get that um it was a bright green t-shirt and i really loved it because um, one, it taught me the word resilience, but two, I was like, wait, I do this all the time in soccer games. Like someone knocks me down. 
I get back up again. Yes, buoyancy. Just keep popping up. Keep showing up. You're going to learn. You're going to fall down. But it's those who just keep getting up. They'll be better every time. And eventually, you'll, you'll just rise to the top. Beautiful. I love it. And uh, I'm going to put that at the top with uh, the success quote or mantra. It's going to be another mantra we're going to throw up there. I like that one. Um, I'm going to try to find that T-shirt. Right. Um, <laughs> what is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness. It's my greatest weakness and my greatest strength. Um, I care too much. That's a tough one. Uh, how does that hurt you? Has that hurt me? Um, as much as you have to be a firm business owner, you also have to be a human. And finding that balance is a very delicate thing. Mm. What is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Leading others. Uh, don't always think you know where you're going. Nah, I gotta pull back a layer. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Uh, you can't just make decisions thinking. Ooh. You can't always <laughs> make decisions thinking that you know where you are going yourself versus you know where you are going as a team. And you can't always make those decisions without hello asking the team of where they would like to go or where they think they you know that we should go. Um, it's never about I, it's always about we, and you also got to weigh, you know, how much does, um, you know, does their input really affect, you know, the, the decision-making, like you follow the team. If you have a, if you disagree, you know, it's not easy. I dig it. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview? We kind of already covered this a little bit, but, uh, you can uh, restate yourself if you'd like. A question. Uh, hmm. um, I certainly ask people about an example of a time that they have failed. Um, but you know, I think asking someone how long they are willing to fail for. That's good question. Huge. And you're, are you looking for resilience? Looking for resilience, I think people are usually caught off guard with that question or don't really know how to answer it. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the answer that I'm looking for, but also the way that they process. Dig it. And uh, what is your current challenge? Current challenge. It's summer. (laughs) It's hot. (laughs) hot (laughs) Uh, The students are gone. I'm trying to still understand like how this marketplace works, right? Like what is the, what is July like? What is August like um, in this neighborhood? Um, how do we get more programming going that we want to get going? Um, are, are there any tools balance. you're leveraging to to track that the, that data, those trends, to see what your market's like? Uh, definitely. Talking is important. Communicating with other restaurant owners, communicating with um, our point of sales uh, team and system, which is actually really cool because they're based here. They're called Toast. Oh, uh, cool. They're like a yeah, less definitely like a five less than five year old startup here. We can just uh, roll into the next question, which is what is actually no, that's not the next question, but it's a question that's coming. So just stand by, and we'll get <laughs> deeper right. into that. Uh, yeah. What is uh, one book that is a must read to not necessarily make us better? Uh, business owners, but better people in general. Uh, a book that you love that you, has impacted you. Per- personally. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. 
Um, so not necessarily business owners or business if you people. got a great business one, but whatever you want to share, we'll take. Yeah, there's like so many businesses that like business books out there. But again, like one of the things I always think about is nostalgia, right? And um, and the power of nostalgia. Like I cook with nostalgia. I like everything has a story because it reminds me of a time and place. Um, one of those books for me is probably a book I picked up in middle school. It's called Tuesdays with Maury. Okay. And, and one of the great takeaways with Tuesdays um, with Maury is how to be a better, more selfless person and care for others. I love it. Beautiful. And here's the question that we were talking about before. Uh, what is one technology or tool you're leveraging in your restaurant that has influence and help your operation? My cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> I can control the lights. I can look at the cameras. I can, you know, play music. Um, what apps are you <laughs> using specifically to control the lights and the cameras? Um, the lights. There's, uh, well, our lighting system is Lutron. So I think the app is just called Lutron. Um, the camera system. I'm learning about the technology still too. So I'm like, Oh, what is that app called for the cameras? Um, like IDMSS light or something. You can let me know uh, later. I'll have it in the show notes. <laughs> I'll let I'll you know. Back to it. Yeah. I do a lot from my phone though. I, awesome. you know, obviously write emails, Skype with you. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, it's a great tool uh, that people don't, I think they forget you can be so efficient. Uh, you can do so much from that one little like portal. Uh, is there one app that you couldn't do without on your phone that you would like to share with us? One app. Um, as a tool, I really think that, and in the restaurant, you know, food restaurant realm and just, um, and connecting with people and, you know, connecting with new people as well as, uh, you know, friends from elementary school or family. I think that Instagram is really powerful. Mm. Um, I mean, Instagram and Facebook. So just for connecting you know, and sharing your story. Definitely. I mean, they even have a thing called stories now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it's powerful. I think that both, yeah, I mean, you know, especially now that they're, they're together in terms of Instagram and Facebook, but I just think that it's a great way to communicate. Um, and as a business tool too, um, you know, as a marketing and advertising tool, it's very important. And to be able to also retrieve the data um, is great. So yeah. and, really uh, helpful for us. You are also, um, starting to talk about toast and I cut you short. Uh, how are you working with toast? How have they served you in gathering this data and how has that, you know, benefited your business? Yeah. Um, what's great about toast is, you know, they're startup, they're local. Um, they, you know, share similar values, but what's great is that they're also willing to come in and get their hands dirty. Like they mm. wanted to come in, stash in the kitchen and understand, shoot, what is your day to day? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, you, what do you do at toast? And why do you want to, you know, pick Thai basil to make pesto with us <laughs> when, you know, like, shouldn't we be talking about the inventory systems that you guys offer? You know, and they want to be here and understand what we do so that they can better serve us. Like that is like, that is empathy at its core. Like yeah. spend time with the people, communicate with people doing what they do in their environment. And in that way, can you understand and learn to speak their language? Um, that's not something that 
people always get in whatever kind of industry, right? Like you have a consultant come in that's like, oh, you need to do this and do this and do this. And yeah. um, so have have they been able to better serve you from that perspective? I think so. Beautiful. I think they have been able to better serve us. And I think that they also, you know, they also care more because they've been here, they've lived it, but also they have met our people. And, and I think that helps them, you know, take a little more of a human um, based approach versus just, Hey, like you can call us anytime. You can email us anytime. I like it. Awesome. So if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Go back in time. Back in time, <laughs> say to uh, maybe yeah. uh, when you're deciding to start doing the pop the pop up on your own with th- these people. Like, what's one lesson and one bi- one piece of business advice uh, that you could, if, if you could go back in time, give it to yourself? What would it be? I mean, I don't like to live with regret, and I always think, oh, like everything can always be like better planned. So if I were to go back and just, you know, have myself be planning better for this like what would I tell myself uh, what would I tell myself I love how much thought you're putting into this no I feel like work faster <laughs> <laughs> um, because I like to plan and sometimes you really I mean especially with the ramen I think that's why ramen was like such a good practice like the ramen pop-ups were such a good practice because I had to be so like quick and that's what i love about service is that you have to be in the moment um but when i'm left to think and to plan i to uh you know i'm like a slow cooker i like to let it marinate and then i'm like low and slow um but because i think that's how some you know great ideas come about it takes time to to marinate then again some other ones you just do and you're like what yeah (laughs) i think being patient (laughs) comes up a lot i feel like people try to rush through life and just do to get to the next step but like you you're a perfect example of taking the time with the pop-up to get that clarity about what it is that does matter to you and to just be buoyant and resilient and keep showing up and improving a little bit better every day and to not go you know you know, you're going to be busting your ass every day, you know, pedal to the metal, full throttle, but slowly you'll get to where you want to be. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, so that's what I'm picking up from your story. No, I was going to say, I mean, one of the things, one of the things I was going to say was just, um, you know, I can always ask more questions yeah. and push myself to ask more questions. Speaking of asking more questions, uh, what is one question I could have asked you that would have uh, provided more value to this interview? Hmm. Well, I feel like most people usually ask, um, you know, like what's in the works, like what's, what's going to happen. Like you ask like, Oh, what's one of the greatest challenges right now? But it's like, Oh, what's in the works for, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. All right. Um, So what's, what's in the works? (laughs) Um, what's in the works? I think it's to really understand growth better understand because that's something that I haven't had to really tackle doing a pop-up, you know, that there's, um, you know, a finite period, but this, this is, uh, less finite, I would think. Um, and I really need to understand growth in terms of how to best, 
uh, grow and develop and educate um, you know, the team members, but also what makes the best sense in terms of business practices. And I have to be ready to try a lot of things, to fail at a lot of things, but like, I would like to hit a lot of home runs too. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Awesome. Well, this has been so much fun, Chef Tracy. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. Uh, who is somebody that you admire in this industry? Somebody that you believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Hmm, great question. Are you going to call them too? Oh, yeah. All right. Like, who the <laughs> heck recommended me? <laughs> uh, you should definitely give a ring um to my friend eric's son he is out in the bay area in san francisco california and he is building a restaurant right now um but incredible guy he is a hunter he is a diver um he is also a former finance guy oh cool um super talented yeah eric's son yeah. Look out. I'm coming after you. I would love to get you on the show and uh, let the folks at home know, Chef Tracy, what's the best way to connect? If we want to come join your team, if we want to come uh, experience your, your food or, or maybe come collaborate, uh, what's the best way to connect? To connect with us at Pagu? Yeah. You can call us. You can email us. You can show up. You can um, you know, ping us on social media, everything. <laughs> All right. Uh, is there an we'll email you can share? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y at GoPagu, G-O-P-A-G-U dot com. Awesome. I'll have that link in the show notes. And uh, as well as a summary of today's discussion, the recommended books, tools, services that were recommended. Uh, this is episode 340. So head over to restaurantsunstoppable.com slash 340 uh, to find those links in that summary. And Chef Tracy, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us as a guest mentor, to share your story, to share your advice. Uh, I commend your uh, dedication to getting that clarity in, in what matters to you and uh, creating a business with that higher purpose. Uh, it's You're a great example to be made of. So make an example of. So it was great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable and we'll talk to you soon, hopefully. All right. Thank you, Eric. Uh, all right. Cheers. Wow. That was an awesome episode with Chef Tracy Chang. Thank you so much for taking the time, Chef, to join us. And the big lessons for me in this episode uh, was, you know, wow, there's just so many, uh, so many great nuggets uh, from, you know, a minimal viable product, starting small and scaling up and getting that clarity, that transparency, that honesty in what you're doing, in, in delivering your purpose, having that purpose-driven you know, driven restaurant, that driven concept, that, the purpose-driven concept, having that why and knowing it, and having that drive the ship, and getting everybody on board and understanding this is why we're here, uh, and then to live it out every day, and to care about your staff, and to just create something truly special, um, and communicate that to your people, so powerful. We also talked about the minimal viable product uh, is huge. Uh, starting small, scaling up with time, uh, taking the time to learn, to, to take jobs with the intent to learn, and then to offer something. Uh, don't just, 
you know, in your if you're young, you're listening to this and you're working in a restaurant, are you going with the flow or are you contributing something? Are you challenging the status quo? And if you are in an, in an environment that doesn't let you do that, then get out. Uh, you're not in the right place. Uh, so many just great nuggets in today's episode. Uh, again, this is episode 340. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 340. You'll find links to everything right there. Uh, you can connect with me, Eric, at Restaurant Unstoppable. Social media, Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E. And Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Let's break 100 reviews. I think we're at 95 or 94 the last time I checked. Um, those reviews are simple. They don't take any time, and they help support the show. And um, that's it. Um, thank you guys all so much for sticking around this long, for listening. If you can think of anybody I should get on the show, please let me know. Always looking for the next guest. And, uh, yeah, love you all. Until next time, peace out.